Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يدلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمد عبده ورسوله Dear brothers and sisters السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته and welcome to Islamic Voices Live uh, as you all know, brothers and sisters, uh, seems like the whole world is suffering uh, from a disease. And that disease in reality is secularism. And secularism is causing people in reality what the ayah says, uh, That human beings, they were best, they were created in the best of forms. But due to jahiliyyah, accepting concepts that come from jahiliyyah or jahiliyyah itself, then they fall lower, as Allah says, yani asfala safilin. And then Allah answers that by saying, إِلَّا amanu الصَّالِحَاتِ And then accept those who believe. الصَّالِحَاتِ And they're those who do good deeds. And of course, what we're talking about here, we're talking about this confusion, LGBTQ, uh, all kind of in many ways, uh, concepts that are even not only irrational, but unnatural to human beings and for the future of human beings. So, Inshallah, to discuss this, we have Brother Mazar here. And uh, the brother has been on this show many times. He doesn't need any introduction. Uh, he's a da'i. He's, he's someone who has, he speaks uh, on many of the topics of Islam, whether it's Sharia in general, economics, politics, regional issues. Uh, analysis of different areas. Recently, he's spoken a lot on the issue of Palestine and and uh, what that means, the betrayal of the rulers. Uh, something that I hope all of you listen to. So, inshallah, we have him on. Uh, he was also recently in in uh, you know uh, in in South Africa, and he, he spoke a lot on this topic of LGBTQ. We have him on here. Uh, so please let's discuss this issue that is really now entering Muslim homes uh, and the Muslim conscious. So. Brother Mazhar, uh, first of all, Jazakallah Khair for coming back uh, and to discuss these very important issues that are affecting not only Kuffar in general, but Muslims now. So, what is happening? Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin Nabi Lumi wa ala ali wa sallim taslima. Yes, what's happening? Uh, you, you rightly say this and it's, uh, it's, it's a global phenomenon. You know, you guys in the States might think that, you know, uh, there's a lot of confusion here, especially amongst the Muslim community with the way the Muslim so-called representatives and politicians are presenting this issue. You know, the same issue we have here in the UK, I just recently been in South Africa, it's been pushed there. And this is being pushed all across the globe. This is a global, liberal, secular agenda. 
I mean, in Mecca and Medina. In Mecca and Medina. I mean, it's happening in recently. You know, they've got. Yeah, I mean, Pakistan, it's actually. published many years ago. Parliament, I think, has passed a law regarding this whole transgenderism and all this. Yes, that's right. Because they, I think, if I'm not mistaken, some of the loans that came to them from the IMF, the, some of the conditions for this, one of the conditions was to pass legislations like these trans rights um, ah. in Pakistan. So they're starting to, storm, starting to slowly normalize these things and make it acceptable. So, you know, there was a book, even some charity, I think it was in Canada that printed a book called My Chai Chai is Gay. And that's been published and printed and distributed in, mm. in, in, in uh, Pakistan. So it's a global effort. Uh, it's a global secular liberal agenda uh, to fight against the the core force, especially the Muslims, because Muslims are the only people in the whole world who have got an alternative vision for society and man. So they are being very uh, robust in pushing their agenda across the world. But let me ask you, Sheikh, before we go into that, why this? This, uh, yani, how does it uh, benefit the West uh, to bring? to discuss such, uh, or even to, I mean, is detrimental even to them? Yeah. Um, you know, some people like to, they say, cut their nose to spite the face. You know, <laughs> arrogance allows you to do that. You cut your own nose to spite the face. You know, I will actually draw a line to, um, here in the UK, you know, after 9-11, when 9-11 happened and uh, Muslims were, uh, opposing this whole 9-11 agenda of demonizing fighting a war on terror across the world. Tony Blair gave a, a, a speech, you know, where he made a, a point. He said, and he was talking, he was making this point that these people believe in their values, that they stick to their values, they don't move from their values. So he was saying to the, to the UK public that we believe in our values more than they believe in their values, which is obviously clearly not true right? Because mm. <laughs> they don't even have defined values. But he made this. And since that time, up until that time, Britain had this idea of multiculturalism. So it doesn't matter which culture you come from, doesn't matter which community you come from, we all come to Britain, everybody follows whatever culture, whatever they want to follow. We're a big melting pot and everybody is British. But after 9-11, they brought about this liberal agenda. And they said, no, we believe in what we believe in more than what they believe in. And it's not enough and then they came up with these new, new ideas of non-violent extremism. So it's not enough that they don't believe in our stuff. And it's not enough that they have different values. Um, we can't tolerate that anymore. They have to believe in what we believe in. So now they've had since that time over the last two, three decades, this liberal agenda has been forced onto the population through the schools, through the state institutions, especially amongst the young, because they know this. They've even said this openly that if you can convince the young minds, which they obviously are not a discriminating mind, you tell young prepubescent kids, whatever you want to tell them, they're going to take it. So that's why they focus very much on very young children on this LGBT secular agenda to win them over. So I would say that this has roots in what happened in 9-11, where they jettisoned the old concept of multiculturalism for a muscular liberal agenda. And Tony Blair uses exact, exact words that we are going to be, sorry, not Tony, uh, Cameron, David Cameron, when he was prime minister of the UK, he said, we are going to, be, we are going to believe in muscular liberalism, that we are going to, we are going to use a uh, force, the, the might of the law to, to make people believe in this stuff. 
So is it just goes to show the weakness. Uh, sure, I mean so that's what my question was. Uh, multiculturalism. I mean, I mean, of course, after nine eleven, as you were saying, that they had to change this. Is this because they were because of impact of Islam uh, that they had to figure out a way to? As you said, look, they, they don't have you know, def- they... they don't have defined uh, you know principles, but we do defined values. Let's say so then. They had to figure out that, okay, look, if we don't do this, uh, Europe will have to face yani, the growth of Islam in ways they can't imagine. But that's happening anyway. You know, they, they, could, they could see a losing battle. Um, mm. Like, look at the UK, for example. I think there was a politician many decades ago <clears throat> when there was a big flux, influx of immigration in the 60s and 70s. Mm, they said, it doesn't matter, let them come because their children will be, will be our children. They're going to blend into this society, they're going to assimilate into this society, and they'll be ours. They'll think like us, behave like us. But what they've noticed over the, 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 the decades and, and the, the new generations that are coming, that the youth are still attached to their Islam. And actually, in many cases, the newer generations of Muslims are more attached to Islam than their parents were. Mm. So they, they, they realized that their culturing process, their education system that hadn't done, wasn't wasn't able to convince the incoming immigrants of their way of life. So they tolerated that for a while, but after 9-11, they realized, no, we can't accept this anymore. And therefore they use state institutions to force it down their throat. So like I went to the universities in the late eighties, early nineties. <coughs> and I myself would say is I'm a product of that uh, time. So when I went to university, um, you know, I must have been 18, 19. I didn't know how to pray, right? I, I was a Muslim. I'm from a Muslim family. I didn't know how to pray. But when I went to university, Islam, uh, you know, there was Islamic university, as you have MSAs over there. We have what we call ISOCs over here, Islamic societies who are active on the campus and very active in debate and discussion. And so you, there was this phenomenon of Muslims coming to university and leaving as proper Muslims. And also getting, you know, Muslim girls coming to university with skirts on and leaving their university with hijabs on and people converting to Islam. So when it came to a battle of ideas, Islam won. Mm. Even now in the prisons, they find that so many people are embracing Islam in the prisons because people can sit and think and the Muslims are active in the prisons. Now they're worried about people embracing Islam in the prisons. So they're thinking about that, how to deal with that. So when it came to a battle of ideas, Islam won. When it came to the universities, Islam won. So when they brought about this CVE legislation here in the UK, and I'm sure it's the same across the world, one of their focus was the universities, that we would de-platform any Muslim speakers who are not approved by the government. So oh, wow. any other speaker that goes to you, the university from a, you know, from, well, from a secular perspective or an atheist perspective or whatever speaker, they don't get vetted. But if a Muslim speaker comes there, the ISOC has to submit their name to the authorities, to the university to say, this is a speaker who's coming. And then the university will approve that speaker or not. So that way they stopped any, what they would term as radical preachers coming. So now when you go to the ISOCs in the campus, it's just about charity and it's just about, um, that's it, raising money for charity and about individualism. The debates and discussions that used to take place in the 90s in the campuses don't happen anymore. So 
it's an admission on their part that when it comes to a fair debate and discussions, they cannot win. So now they're using the might of the state in order to force their agenda across. And that's where we are now, I would believe. So, Sheikh, I mean, but, but still, how is this good for the West? You know, I said to you, some people will cut their nose despite their face, you know, and it harms them. But they don't want to accept that. So it does harm them. So now I mean, look, when they're, they're having issues with population growth, uh, I mean, even if you think about from the perspective of uh, what you know, defining a superpower, for instance, one of them is that it has to have a certain amount of population. Uh, it, it's, mm. it's uh, I mean, you know, it, it, for the future of the, not only the growth of the country, development of the country. Uh, I mean, here, uh, you know, I mean, are they saying that, okay, let's just bring in foreigners inside and refugees, bring them to the West, and they will take care of the population that's not growing. I mean, there is a lot of issues that they will have to deal with if this thing continues on. Or do you see it continuing on? Or, they, you know, or this has to is, end? They have to adapt and they'll have to rethink. They'll keep rethinking their strategy as they go along to see what's going on. Because you're right, population is an important uh, aspect of a civilization. You need to have a, a, a large body of people to be a a strong and powerful civilization. Uh, all civilizations which have been powerful have had that. You're absolutely right, especially because of liberal secular values, it has had a negative impact. You don't have to be uh, part of the LGBT crowd. You can just be a freedom-loving secular person who doesn't want to get married, doesn't want to have children, he just wants to mm. pursue his own personal pleasure and interest. This negatively uh, uh, impacts the population of a society. So across Europe uh, and the so-called Western world, the populations are either flatlining, uh, almost flatlining, or even declining. And that's the case in Germany. So this is why Germany allowed so many immigrants to come from Syria, because they need population. And even the immigrants they took were doctors, surgeons, professionals. Mm. They need people like that. Um, so yes, on the one hand, they are intrinsically, you know, there's a, there's a problem with racism in, in Obviously, you know, in America, also here in the West, there's a problem with racism. There's a there's a problem with white supremacists, su supremacists, and it's it's not just the, the white supremacist groups. It affects the mainstream population as well. They have this intrinsic uh, superiority complex over other races. So, when there's a population decline, there is a resistance for having immigration, which actually feeds the right wing, which is happening across the world. But the capitalists know that we need to have people coming into the country in order to work the economy. So there's a dilemma here that they're facing and they've not been able to sort that out. So on the one hand, you, you know, you see the rise of racism, but on the other hand, for practical reasons, they have to allow uh, 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 immigrants to come in. And there's no surprise uh, here in the UK that if you now want to become a British citizen, from an, you have to pass an exam. You have to study British values. They have to indoctrinate you and you have to believe that. And the irony is, and you see comedians joking about this sometimes on the TV, that if they gave this citizenship test to British people, they would fail it themselves. <laughs> they, they wouldn't be able to answer some of the questions they put on there. So we have to be more British than the British themselves in order to be British. So they have to indoctrinate people in order to come to the societies. And you could, as a conspiratorial mind, might even argue, well, maybe this is why they have wars around the world to bombard people and reduce their populations to try and keep some kind of a parity. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe there's some truth to that. I don't know. Um, but yes, this is a problem they have. Um, and, you know, sometimes when you see a sinking ship, 
uh, because you're on the sinking ship, believe in that ship, there's not a lot you can do. The Quraysh, the Quraysh could see, you know, you know the Quraysh, for example, I'll give you a, an example from the Quraysh. They had some fundamental beliefs, and one of their core beliefs uh, about tribalism is that you always stand up for a person in your tribe. Right or wrong, your tribe, your tribesmen, you stand with. So, you know, uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa actually played on these words. You know, there's a hadith which says, help your brother whether he's oppressed or he's the oppressor. And that was actually a play on an Arab uh, Qurayshi saying that you support your brother whether he's right or wrong. Even if he's wrong, you support him. So when Rasulullah said this, the Sahaba asked him, what do you mean? We understand if he's oppressed, we help him. But how do we help him if he's an oppressor? And Rasulullah said, you withhold his hand. You stop him from being an oppressor. That's how you help him. But what the Quraysh used this phrase for is, even if your brother's wrong, you still support him. However, when it came to Islam and the Muslims, they jettisoned this belief. So they persecuted their own. They boycotted their own. They killed their own. And Rasulullah was the best from amongst the best of the Quraysh. Yet they turned against him. And they could see that contradiction, but they were unable to do anything about it. So they were shooting themselves in the foot, going against their own values. But their arrogance and hatred for Islam didn't allow them to take an, any other path. So, you know, um, I don't know how true this is, but um, when Washi um, uh, killed Hamza radiallahu an in the battle of Uhud and he earned his freedom, I saw this Omar series and I don't know how true it is. Uh, how true it is and how rooted it is in actual fact or how much it is just uh, uh, artistic license. But it showed Washi when he enters into Darul Nadwa as a free man, dressed in free man's clothes, the faces of the leaders of Quraysh fell. Yeah. And one of them made the, 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 the quote that we use the worst of ours to kill the best of ours. Yeah. So yeah. we use the free slave, yeah. the lowest of our people to kill Hamza, the best of our people. And they were basically harming themselves, but there's nothing they could do because otherwise they have to accept Islam. So in a similar way, the West is digging its own grave. They're harming themselves. They're affecting their own societies, causing their own problems. But because these are the values that they have now signed up to in opposition to Islam, because there's no other values in the world today. There is the camp of Islam and the camp of liberal secularism. There's no other camps. You're either going to one camp have, or the other camp. I mean, OK, so, so on that. What do you do when you have Muslims who are standing up for these same values? I mean, you, look, you, you have so many, so many of these people are coming to Islam. I mean, you have Andrew Tate and all these different people mm. and many people who are sick and tired of the value system. You know, in, the, in general, we are seeing this. Alhamdulillah, that finally even the elite within these societies are saying that, look, man, this is getting out of hand. Mm. But then they come to Islam and sometimes and then they see that. I mean, there's a lot of people and maybe even leadership positions who are who have nothing uh, they, they, they are in the same crisis as the kuffar are. you, you know uh, there's a hadith saying that the one who is the best in jahiliya is the best in islam mm. because those who have lived jahiliya and have an open mind they understand the essence of jahiliya mm. that it doesn't satisfy right it doesn't make you feel comfortable and so when they see Islam, they can recognize the goodness of Islam more so than maybe some born Muslims can. Uh, I don't know if on one of our previous discussions, I gave you the example of Elvis Presley. You know, mm. 
No, I don't um, know. And Elvis, I don't, I don't Elvis Presley, I'm giving this example because you're, you're in the States, you know, your icons of, of America. Not mine, but okay. <laughs> not, not yours, but of, of America. Now, um, what, what happened is, you know, Elvis Presley himself was from a very poor family. Mm. Yeah. He was from a very poor single parent family and then picks up a guitar, you know, strings the guitar. And within a, within a short time, he's one of the most, one of the most famous people in, in the world. You, you could go to a village in Africa and, you know, you could play some Elvis Presley tunes and people would recognize it. He was one of the most wealthiest people, the most famous people, and he had women flocking to him. And if you ask a, a, a person, a man in the West, what are the three things that you would give you will give you happiness? He would say fame, fortune, and females. The three Fs: mm. fame, fortune, and females. Elvis Presley had all three. He was mm. the most famous. He was wealthy, and he had all the women coming to him. And I watched this program once on one of his anniversaries on TV, and they were interviewing one of his roadies. Mm. You know, these guys that go around with him with all these kit set up the, uh, uh, the, the, the concerts and stuff. And they were interviewing one of his roadies. He said, what was life like? He said, oh, life was brilliant. Women, all these women used to flock to Elvis after the concert. And the ones he didn't want, we got. So, you know, life, he was saying this, life was good. So then he said that I was a new roadie and I was, a, I was actually a university graduate. So Elvis Presley, when he realized he got a new roadie in the team, he came to me and he says, uh, you're a clever guy. You got, a, you got a college degree. He goes, tell me, why did God make me Elvis Presley? You know, that's a profound question. You know, mm. Elvis is asking a deeply profound question. Why did God make me Elvis Presley? Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have made anybody rich, famous. He could have made anybody rich. Why did he make me rich and famous? Why am I Elvis Presley? Why, why me? And obviously it's a deep philosophical type question. This roadie couldn't answer that. You know, he gave some roundabout answer that didn't satisfy. And shortly after that, uh, Elvis Presley overdosed and died in a hotel. Was it 1977 or 78? Now he had everything everybody chases for. Money, women, and fame. He had all three in abundance. And he wasn't happy and he committed suicide. Meaning that he got to the top of the mountain everybody wants to go to. When he got there, he said, this is not what I was looking for. And he ended up committing suicide. So people like that realize the hollowness of the life they are chasing. So when Islam now gives you an alternative vision for what this life is about, that you will never fill your stomach with happiness. You will never fill your stomach with wealth that will satisfy you. You will keep chasing it. But what will satisfy, satisfy you is seeking the pleasure of Allah. And when Allah is happy, you are happy. When you are content, when Allah, you are satisfied with pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this gives you a higher purpose in life, an objective in life, and this can give you contentment. And this is what now we have in the world. This, this Islamic uh, uh, ideology that contentment is seeking the akhirah and not the dunya. And you've got liberal secularism, which is seeking this dunya. So, you know, when Allah says in the Quran, have you seen those people who have made their desires God? So the God today is you make yourself God, which is what liberal secularism is, or you accept the real God, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is where we are today. So now these people are going overboard in pushing their values in competition to Islam, even though it's destroying their own societies, even though many of their own people don't like it. They are still going ahead with it because they have no other alternative. 
and this is you know this is kufr all over through the ages you will find even with the, the Quraysh they did the same thing they will contradict themselves in order to attack Islam to attack the truth Sheikh Dawa so you, you mentioned this. a lot of things yani, subhanallah and you're talking about okay so number one problem spirituality and yani lack of um, not knowing why you exist existence the purpose itself is not there uh, which is failing humanity uh, people are living for the sake of living not knowing where they're going Sheikh I mean why don't the Muslims understand the kind of role they can play in such an environment where people are dying for purpose I mean imagine dying for purpose and uh, I mean literally because they, they, they're literally dying for purpose it's they're saying yo I mean I I have everything, but I don't have purpose. And then at the end, it's too painful to live like that, and they, they're killing themselves. And you're talking about people who have, I mean, the top capitalists. Okay, so you have one. Are these people even capitalists, Sheikh, or they, are they, they, were they able to just utilize capitalism to get somewhere? But the capitalists are so shrewd that they can never think like this. I mean, this is interesting. I mean, I don't see uh, George Bush committing suicide. I don't see uh, Clinton committing suicide. I don't see Biden, you know, these guys in his 80s still not committing suicide. These, I mean, these, <laughs> yeah. what's the difference between all, the people who are, who are really looking and the people who are pushing this agenda? I mean, do they not need a purpose? You see, they, they, <clears throat> they, 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 their purpose is a political purpose. So they wake up every day thinking, how are we going to win this game? So that's, so that's a purpose. Their mind. They're busy, that's a, their minds. Oh, so you're it's saying... It's a purpose, purpose for them, but they... No, no, hold on. So they, it's purpose, does it mean keeping your mind busy? No, but look, you, can, you have to have a purpose in life, right? Mm, something. You can have the correct purpose, which you make objective in life, or you can have any other purpose, which could be multifold. Yeah, there's not one in opposition to Islam. Kufar is many. So you could have all sorts of beliefs and ideas and you could make that objective in your life and you could keep yourself busy with that. But at the end of the day, even though you pursue that goal, whether it's the capitalist political goal, whether it's a monetary goal, whether it's a goal of pleasure, whatever it is, the point is it never satisfies you. It never brings you contentment. And again, don't confuse that with happiness, right? Because they could say, well, I've seen lots of Muslims that are not happy. It's not about happiness. Life is always going to be challenging, whether you're a Muslim or a non-Muslim, right? Whether you're a Muslim or a non-Muslim, you are going to have challenges, you are going to have difficulties in your life. The thing is, Islam gives you the thoughts and ideas to deal with them and to be content. Whereas mm. capitalism gives you, or any other ideology or way of life will give you a lie on how to deal with that. So you try and solve that, but you're never happy. So why is it that people, there are billionaires in the world today that if they spent a million pound every single day for the rest of their life, they wouldn't even make a dent in their wealth. Yet, they are still earning more money. Why? You know, you've got people like Bezos. You've got people like, you know... Uh, Elon uh, Musk and... The, sure. Elon Musk and all of these guys. You know, multi-multi-billionaires. If they spent a million pound a day for the rest of their life, they wouldn't even make a dent into their wealth. But yet, they are still trying to increase their stock value. They're still trying to... Because a person needs a, a, a purpose in life and they are consuming themselves with a purpose in life. But 
Are they content and happy with that? You know, mm. I doubt it. But what's happening is, it's not those particular individuals. It's the, the trail of destruction they left behind them. That people who believe in this dream, that get caught up in it and have a miserable life. And that's what we're seeing in the societies at a societal level. So, you know, they can try and protect themselves uh, with the wealth that they have and do whatever they want. But the millions and millions of people who've been sold this dream, who try to chase this dream, you know, that's the, that's the, it's the impact that that's having on a societal level that is, is, is our concern, not the particular individuals that may or may not fall victim to capitalism or to, to kufr. So let me ask you this, Sheikh. I mean, you know, you hear things like this LGBTQ thing that we're talking about. It's, it's not, it's a problem of the West because the West has time to, think, to, to invent these type of new things. I mean, you're not going to go and see people in Bamako, Mali, even the thinking of LGBTQ. Maybe it's, I mean, I've been to Mali, I've been to, and they're, 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 it's a whole different discussion. But is this happening because the West lacks, you know, to, to, I guess what I'm asking is to fall to this low where to be able to uh, somehow connect to such, such low level, to fall to, to this level that hum, it, it's affecting human nature. Why is this so big in, in the West and not so big in the East? I mean, it's being pushed is one thing, agenda is one thing, political, uh, you know, whatever is happening is one thing. Is it lack of, I mean, what, what uh, <laughs> I guess I'm trying to figure out is that, you know, you, you said fine, <clears throat> purpose could be many things. You need to wind it back. You need to wind it all the way back to say how it began. So if you look at the beginning of the liberal secular uh, uh, ideology, if you wind it all the way back, its roots uh, uh, lie in what happened in Europe uh, in the Middle Ages. You know, the conflict in Europe, the, the constant warring between the religious factions and the wars that took place between the various European states. And the ideas from the Muslim world affected the thinkers of the, the European world, the Western world. And they had uh, uh, started to think that, you know, this is not right. This is not, you know, Christianity was causing problems in, in their society. So they tried to think of how can we live differently? So Western philosophy emerged in this background. And in opposition the biggest to debate in opposition to Christianity. The problem they made is all religion is because of the superiority complex that they had. We are the most civilized people. All their religions are inferior to our religion. Therefore, if our religion is wrong, everybody else's religion is wrong by definition. So that's the arrogance uh, the, the superiority complex that they had. So when they think when their thinkers concluded that religion is the cause of our problems, you know, so various strands came from this. You had the atheist strand, which led to communism and stuff, saying there is no God and we should live our life based on this understanding that there, are, there is no God and we are, we are God. We will decide for, to do what we want. And there was another strand which emerged with, look, whether there's a God or not is irrelevant. Pray to whatever you want. But in this world, that's what we're concerned about. We will be sovereign in this world. We will decide what we want to do. So you know these freedoms that they talk about, freedom of belief, freedom of uh, uh, ownership, uh, free, free, individual freedom, all these freedom, freedom of speech, expression, 
all of these freedoms emerge from this philosophy. So there's different, different strands of philosophies, but they all agree on these fundamentally. So the thing is now, at that time, that looked like a good idea. Now, anybody can do whatever they want, as long as it doesn't harm the collective, as if they knew what harm was. And if you want to pray, you go to church. But when you come out of church, you leave your God in the church, you leave your God in the synagogue. So they thought this is a nice compromise of how to live life. But the problem is, the LGBT stuff you have today is rooted in those seeds. Because if you now say a person can maximize their pleasure, you know, they have these ideas of um, hedonistic utilitarianism, mm. that people should be able to maximize their pleasure as long as they don't harm anybody else. They had, you know, this materialistic well, utilitarianism in itself, which means to maximize the material good as long as you don't harm anybody else. And this is something common in all the Western philosophies. So now you can't now argue against somebody who says that I want to own anything as a private resource, oil, gas, whatever, because it's rooted in your creed. So it's hard to argue against that. When somebody now says, why can't I get married to my sister? You know, why can't I have a relationship with my sister? I'm not harming anybody else. We are freely consenting. So when they started to, when this ideology developed and these thoughts and ideas came out of it, it's rooted in their creed. It's like somebody arguing with you and disagreeing with you. And then he quotes to you Quran and Sunnah. You can't just dismiss it because we all believe in Quran and Sunnah. So if somebody builds an argument based on Quran and Sunnah, you have to listen to it. Maybe he's right. Maybe I'm wrong. So now when somebody comes from a liberal secular creed that, look, I can do whatever I like as long as I don't harm anybody else. I can, you know, it's my freedom. You can't now argue against him on that same basis because you accepted that basis. So the fruits that we have now, these are the bitter fruits of the seeds that were planted in Europe in the 1700s and the 1800s by their philosophers, by John Locke, by Rousseau and all of these guys. So now the fruits are growing on their trees. They have to eat them. Because if you reject this, you reject your fundamental belief. You, you reject your aqidah. So that's why you will have secular liberal Christians, secular liberal people in the world. They can't argue against LGBT because the creed that they believe in is exactly the same creed they believe in. And therefore, they've got this problem. Whereas we as Muslims, we can absolutely refute it and speak against it because our creed is different. We don't accept their principles. We don't accept their basis. We don't accept that a, a person has sovereignty over their body, that a person has freedom to do whatever they like. We are all slaves. And that's what they don't want to accept. Every single human being is a slave. Either you are slave to the one who created you or you are the slave of your own nafs. Hence the ayah which I repeat over and over and over again because it is, I believe, so apt to our time when Allah says in the Quran and Allah repeats it many times in the Quran. Have you seen those who have made their desires God? So they have enslaved themselves to their desires. So that's why they are slaves to liberal secular values. They are slaves to their freedom. They are slaves to whatever they desire. So they can't argue against people wanting to be gay, people wanting to be pedophiles, people wanting to be have incestuous relationships because it's rooted in their creed. Whereas we can and we have to because we are the last bastion or the last saviors for humanity. This deen is the last deen and we are the last believers of this deen and we are a savior for humanity. Forget about Islam and Muslims. Islam primarily came to save the non-Muslims from the fire of Jahannam. Those who believe in Islam, Alhamdulillah, Allah will forgive their sins and they will go to Jannah. But our primary uh, uh, focus should be 
What about the rest of the world has, that is lost in Jahiliyyah because of liberal secular values? It's our job to save them. And that's why we come back to this thing about we don't have the power or the authority that we need an Islamic Khilafah state in order to rescue humanity from that. And this is exactly what the Sahaba did. When Sahaba established Islam in Medina, they didn't just sit there and worry about themselves. Within a hundred years, they were in Spain. Why? Because their primary focus was to save the whole of humanity. The whole of humanity is the Ummah of Muhammad. Muhammad came for the whole of the people, all of the people in the whole world. The whole, all of them are in that sense, Ummah of Muhammad. And they're our concern. They're not kuffar, they can go to jail, they can burn in Jahannam. No, we have been given the responsibility to convey this message to the four corners of the world to give them the ability to save themselves from the fire of Jahannam. So it's this battle with liberal secularism is our battle and we're the only people that can, that can battle it. But we need to have the tools to do that. And if we have our own state, then we can fight this at an intellectual, political, ideological, at a state level. And that's when we can have a, 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 an ability, a practical ability to save other nations from their own uh, suicidal tendencies of believing in these ideologies, which is causing them self-harm. Okay, Sheikh, what is the role of the elite? Because you mentioned that, you know, at the end of the day, these elite, these philosophers, they came up with these ideas. And at the end, now they have to kind of eat their own, you know, the fruit of their own trees. Uh, and it, today, what role should the elite of the Muslims play? And first of all, is there something called the elite in, within the Muslims? And if they are, what role are they supposed to play? Number one, I'm, I'm talking, let's say, of like the dawah that you are talking about, it and the intellectual, the 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 the, the, con, the, con, you know, the convictions that are needed to discuss Islam at the level that you are discussing. Uh, what is the requirement for someone to develop like this? Because you know we have these madaris and we have these ulama and all of this, and then but they have no impact, and they're not having any impact. You see, we've we've fallen behind uh, in our culturing process. Because, you know, Islam has faced challenges throughout the ages. This is not something new, right? And, and you know this very well. So, you know, there's been different, different challenges the Muslim face. You know, we, we face the challenge of people fabricating hadith, yeah? Mm, mm. Which gave rise to the greatest scholarly endeavor, probably in humanity, where people rooted through the sayings of the Prophet ﷺ to categorize them, to, to authenticate them. Massive mm. project. You know, so a whole science developed because of that in order mm -hmm. to protect and preserve Islam. When you had the rise of um, uh, the Mu'tazila and people affected by Greek philosophy, the Muslims uh, uh, intellectuals like Imam Ghazali, they responded to this. So this generated Islamic knowledge, you know, in order to counter this. And this kind of stuff is being taught even if you go to some of the Darul Ulooms today. You know, I went to one recently. And I asked the Ustaz, I said, do you teach Mantik in your university? Do you mm -hmm. teach logic? He goes, yes, we do. And the reason they taught that is because centuries ago, they needed to learn that in order to refute them. They learned logic in order to refute people who use logic to determine right and wrong. But now they are learning it in an academic fashion. That's mm -hmm. not the, you know, they don't understand the significance of that. So we hold don't on, have hold on, hold on, now hold on, hold on, hold on. continue Let's keep that thought but that's a very big issue right there there's what is the difference Sheikh, between the academic and thinking 
academic is people who pursue knowledge for the sake of knowledge and uh, the right books but they don't want they don't do anything practically to make a change not because they don't want to because they may feel that they don't know how to or or what or they may not feel how to do it or they don't do it so you can have intellectuals you can we have many many ulama in, in in the world today we have many ulama in the world who are the experts in their field you know and you hear about them you know such and such a sheikh died in syria such and such a sheikh died in india who was a master of certain field mm -hmm. of knowledge but these people you know may allah be you know pleased with them they are academics mm -hmm. but then you can have activists who actually make a change and do stuff so they might know a little bit but they make a lot of change so you get people like i'm not saying he knew little but you got people like sayyid qutub you know sheikh uh, imam but even if you look at non-islamic uh, uh, academics like for example people who have not come through the islamic schooling system or the madrasa or the darulums of islam like for example alama iqbal right iqbal. he was a thinker but he made a change in society by the thoughts he brought about uh, 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 challenging western ideas western society to, uh, uh, challenging nationalism challenging nation states so those ideas need to be conveyed and carried so you need to have a movement and rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he had both he had the intellectual uh, uh, power which was being revealed to him from the heavens but he had the sahaba with him who carried that and conveyed that and then when they established the authority then they had the practical means to carry and convey that da'wah so academics is when we only write books and we write books and we write books and we teach and we teach and we teach and the 99% of ulama that's what they do and i'm not saying that's wrong that needs to be done but on the other hand you still need activists you need people who run with the da'wah you need people who are da'is right you can't just have academics and the ideal muslim but, but is I the guess, one who i guess uh, the, the other thing that comes to mind sheikh is that i mean if you if you say that you know if someone has accepted ideas somebody who shouldn't ideas actually move people then i mean whether they're an academic or whether they're an activist obviously there's something that's moving people is it for a scholar he's just moving so he's writing a he's, he writes a book that's how he moves and i mean there is a problem isn't it? i mean that if you have the idea that Islam has to take over the world. I mean, you're learning this. You're sitting there for six, seven, eight years of your life reading, you know, all of this you're reading, you're doing tafsir on it, you're reading a hadith on this, you're seeing what the Sahaba did, all of this. I mean, so is this not, I mean, ideological culture is, is missing or, I mean, first of all, is there even a difference now between academic culturing and ideological culturing yes because when they read these same ayahs like other people might read it and they feel motivated and pushed to do something there are people that you know they might have other intellectual baggage that restricts them from doing that so when they say you know this uh, the rasulullah came as a mercy to the whole of mankind they'll think oh in a spiritual sense you know he's a mercy to all. we don't have to do anything when islam is going to dominate the whole world yeah allah will do that we don't have to do anything so i have a fatalistic tendency uh, some, I'm not saying ulama are like that. I'm saying some people who read these ayahs and don't move could be affected by fatalism, could be affected by a whole set of other ideas that stop them from. So there is what you allude to, this ideological culture, understanding that Islam is a message that was sent from God to earth for us to carry on convey, not for us to sit with, you know? And it's a simple idea. 
that Rasulullah did that, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But how people are that is obfuscated from people's mind is because of this this just purely talking about the individual, about just perfect yourself, just concern yourself, don't judge others. And the whole focus by a lot of Muslims is about don't judge others, just focus on yourself. But this wasn't the case with the Muslims and the, with the, the Prophet وسلم, and the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. They were engaged with that. So you get people like Abu Dhar al-Ghaffari or uh, uh, Tufail ibn al-Dawsi, you know, radiallahu anhum, that as soon as Islam hit them, as soon as they engaged with the Prophet, as soon as they spoke to them, almost the very next thing they did was to go out and tell somebody, to go to the Kaaba and say, La ilaha illallah, or go back to their people and say to them that if you don't believe, you are not of me if you don't believe in what I believe in. They felt duty bound to convey this message. And this is clear as day. So now something has got into our heads, and this is a level of secular liberal attack on Muslims that Islam is confined to the private area. And that's why many people think like that, because there's another level of ideas in their mind which stops them from doing that. Islam has become secular. That is just for you, just for the, the individual. The, the, the reason like I now, want, for example, the reason like I want, now, for example, now I was going to say, just like now, for example, like uh, you get ulama signing pieces of paper and saying, support this candidate in this election. Really? Really? Just now recently, you know, there's a list of going around with 20 ulama who have signed uh, thinking that we need to support this particular secular politician in a secular state, a secular election. Allahu Akbar. Is that all the learning has told you? Haven't you got your own vision, your own, own way of doing these things? And why? Because they don't see the connection between Islam and being politically active. They think that you can only be politically active through the political process the West has given you, through the liberal, secular, democratic political process. And if we want to do good, we have to go through that. Well, you don't apply that same concept to religion. So you don't say that I need to join my local evangelical church and start to work from inside to convert all of these Christians into Muslims. No, because it's a different set of values. You invite them to Islam. You don't go into it to convert them. These values are no different to Christianity. This is based on the same creed. It's in a creed, opposition to Islam. It's opposition to Tawheed, opposition to La ilaha illallah. They believe in that my ruh is my ilah. So how can you now enter a parliament that's given you the sovereignty to, to man, that man is God, man will decide what to do, and somehow you think you're going to change that. So there you have this intellectual blockage in the minds of many Muslims because of secularism, because they feel Islam hasn't got anything to say about politics, Islam hasn't got anything to say about how to create a change in society. See, that's and the exactly, way we do that, we will take from the West. So, Sheikh, this is what I want to, you know, because I, I was trying to in my own mind, construct this idea of kufr and then false spirituality. I mean, how? So the ulama that present themselves as this spiritual guy or spirituality, and oh, we have to be so spiritual, this and that. Sheikh, is this even spirituality? Because how can you be secular and at the same time have any type of spirituality? Because you. You know what I mean? Because the thought process is, okay, I believe in Allah Azawajal, but then there is somewhere the blockage that you're talking about that says, okay, I mean, because you would have to say that Allah doesn't give me all the solutions, or maybe they don't even go that far, because they, they're probably not thinking that way too. When, when they're talking about secularism, they probably are saying, we don't have any other choice. 
whatever it is that they give themselves to justify their ideas. But I guess the point I'm trying to make, Sheikh, is that people follow them a lot of time, a lot of times. A lot of the ulama people are follow, people follow the ulama because they give you know spiritual guidance. They, they, I feel so good when you're with you. I pray all night. I I you know I'm always in wudu and uh, you know and kada kada. But then one moment, one discussion with them shows how deep water these people are in. And, you know, because, but, but the, I guess the more important question I'm asking is that can you be secular and actually have correct spirituality? And then the connection, if you, if you want to address this, can you have the, that kind of spirituality and then come and accept even these representatives that promote LGBTQ. What's the, what's the mess here, Sheikh? How can you be spiritual like that and pray all night and then come and tell the Muslims in the member it's okay to support such nonsense, filth, that will remove people from not only spirituality but from Islam? You know, it, I, I, it, it's a rhetorical question, to be honest. Yes. Uh, and the short answer to that is it doesn't need an answer and the answer is no. To any listener, they know. You, you can't be spiritual and secular because then your spirituality is not the spirituality islam speaks about okay because so what is islam this what, what is it define that what is what is it if this is not spirituality in islam then what is it because they need to know okay, people let me define listen. what is yeah let, let me it, it's secularism yeah. it's secular spirituality because you know people can feel them i mean like i uh, i have a sister um, and she's got learning difficulties so i took her for a walk in the park on the weekend and there were these Hare krishna people there white people, black people, Indian people, banging drums and making us just monotonous banging drum doom, and then dancing there in the park, crazy stuff. And I'm sure they feel very spiritual and very happy. Yeah, they feel very spiritual and very happy because they're satisfying their own desires. They're doing it to feel good. You see, mm. when, you know, when a Muslim goes into the battlefield to, 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 to make jihad, well, when, he, when he's in a battlefield facing his enemies, right? Do you think that uh, uh, every single mujahid there is feeling very high and very spiritual, even though it's an act of ibadah from Islam? Maybe not, but he's doing it as a sense of duty. And Allah says in the Quran, when Allah says in the Quran, Maybe there is something, sorry, Allah says in the Quran, Maybe there is something that you dislike, but it is good for you. So Allah's telling, Allah knows your condition. Maybe there is something you like or hate, but it is good or bad for Allah knows. So your emotion may not be in harmony with that act, but your thought is. Your thought, and that's the spirituality, so that you connect your action with your iman. You connect your iman with your action. So we've just come through Ramadan, and Ramadan teaches us spirituality that you feel hungry. You don't feel comfortable. You, you can't tell me that somebody who's fasting, especially here in the West in the summer where the fast can be, you know, Maghrib is at 10 o'clock at night or even later in some places, that at 10 o'clock, you know, people are, are, are hungry, thirsty, maybe not, not, they're not feeling too good. Um, but your feelings might not be how you want them. You might not be feeling very emotional or very spiritual, but you are, you are, you are being obedient to Allah and that is what gives you the calmness. That I, I, I am suffering, I am doing hardship, Allah knows that and I'm doing it for Him. 
So it's connecting your thought with your action and it's, it, it's, it's uh, ignoring your emotion, ignoring your hawa, ignoring your desires and giving supremacy to what Allah has told you to do. And that is spirituality. So whether it comes to your workplace, your da'wah, whether your, your ibadah or your investments or your societal life with your neighbors, spirituality connects that any action you do is it in accordance with what Allah expects you to do? That is spirituality. So then how can you now vote for a politician who is calling for the legalization of something that Allah has made haram? How can you now say that Allah is pleased with that kind of action? So your spirituality, you have suspended at that point. Now you I can mean, go in the masjid this, and do... But a, the idea of, of, of even giving hukum to human beings you know, that is calling for democracy, whatever it is. So would the conclusion be that... Uh, we don't have thoughts. Sorry, you say that again. Let me ask you, Sheikh. I mean, maybe uh, I, you know, I, I'm again. I'm not going after the ulama, and I don't want to do that. But I am. I'm trying to figure something out that because so much of the people follow, right? Uh, you know, when we say so and so and alim and things like this. Those who call for this nonsense, Sheikh, do they actually have? Do they? Are they? Do they produce thoughts? In, you know, these people like this, they are, they are following what's there in society already and they're trying to map Islam to that. So there's no thought. So they're trying to navigate. So they're adopting. They have thoughts, but they're not from purely from Islam. There's a mishmash, something from Islam and something from the society that we live in. And they're trying to harmonize the two, you know, trying to navigate this. I'm not going to mention any names because some people are very famous in doing this. So they will come up with new fit in how to navigate our new realities. Yeah. So for example, like you know like here just recently one um one think tank produced a, a a paper for the government about how to regulate uh, it talked about faith schools outside of the uh, normal schooling system what they're talking about is madrasa without saying that right uh -huh. Uh -huh. and in here so it's and it's from the neocons it's from your henry jackson society they are the sponsors uh, and involved in this in this uh, report but in this uh, uh, paper uh, they give a few carrots, and one of the carrots is go. Oh, we will give them halal um, grants or halal loans in order to go to university. Now, there's many people who are, you know, coming up with halal investment products, halal mortgages, halal this and halal that. Yeah. Now, in theory or in isolation, there's nothing wrong with giving some an option to the Muslim to do something halal in a haram environment. In isolation, there's nothing wrong. But the problem is the mindset that this Islam didn't come, Islam didn't come to accommodate Islam in a kufr environment. Islam came to eradicate kufr. Mm. Islam didn't come to interface with capitalism. Islam came to replace capitalism. And the problem with many of the fuqaha is because they don't have this ideological mindset of Islam, their focus is how do we make it possible for a Muslim to live in a non-Muslim society? That's mm -hmm. what it boils down to. So their thinking, their solutions, and their activism is based around this. Let me ask you, so is this why do they, they become so famous? Because the, the people themselves, they don't have any ideas, they don't have thoughts, they don't produce any thoughts. But then when they see solutions like this, they just run to these people because, oh, at least he's giving us a solution. Somehow, you I want that. to be Muslim, and now he's allowing me to be Muslim at the same time, accommodate kufr. 
it makes it easy for them. So, for example, mm. two thoughts come to mind. Uh, what, one thought is the Abu Jahls of today are not going to oppose the ulama of this type. Why? Because they are not opposing them. They are not opposing their rule and their, uh, their authority. They are accommodating the Muslims under their authority. So they are not going to oppose ulama of this ilk. They will actually celebrate them and make them famous. And many of these are. But you're right. When you make Islam easy, let me rephrase that. We're not making Islam easy. Accommodate when you make, Accommodate and then you take away that guilt, mm. then those people are not going to move. They want ease. But Islam mm. is not about ease. Islam is not about hardship. Islam is about doing what the right thing is. Whether it results in ease or hardship, we do what the right thing is. So if you look at um, when the Muslims, my Sahaba radiallahu anhum, migrated from Makkah to Medina, yeah, there was a small group of Muslims that stayed behind. Mm. Right? Some of them were, were unable to go. They were maybe slaves. They had no ability to migrate. But there were others who were from notable families who had the means to migrate, but they didn't want to. So they asked the Prophet wasallam that, can we not stay behind? And they said that our parents will allow us to fast and pray. Mm. Yeah. So the Prophet wasallam. I can't remember the exact response of the Prophet wasallam. But the Muslims and the Sahaba migrated and a small body of Muslims stayed in Mecca. Now you are endangering your Iman when you live in an atmosphere of Kufr. Yeah? If your concern is how do I make my life easy, for them to go to Medina was too hard. It's going to cause difficulties. They're living a comfortable life as Muslims in Mecca. For them to go to Medina as, as people without housing and goods, it's going to be a difficult life. So they said, look, we will pray and we will fast, we will fast and our parents will not force us into Kufr. The Prophet said, I don't know exactly the response of the Prophet but he, he listened to what they said and he didn't say anything. He, he went. <laughs> when the Battle of Badr took place, these people were compelled to fight on the side of the Quraysh. And they mm-hmm. agreed amongst themselves that when we entered the battlefield, we will, they were finding a halal solution for themselves. We will not fight with the Muslims. We will stay at the back. We will not fight the Prophet and the, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. We will stay at the back. We will just be on the battlefield, but we will not engage in battle. So they are finding a halal solution for them, trying to stay on the edges of staying within Islam. Now, in the battle, some of these people got killed. Mm. Even though they didn't fight the Muslims, the Sahaba killed them. Because the Sahaba maybe didn't know who they're fighting. They killed them. When the Sahaba got to realize this, they asked the Prophet, what will happen? And the, the uh, Jibra'il salam came with the verses of Allah. And the verses of Allah was, was the earth not wide enough for them to migrate? Yes, was the earth not wide enough for them? Meaning you put yourself in a, demo, uh, in a difficulty and you try to accommodate yourself in that. But that reality came and bit you at the end. So don't delude yourselves that we, if our life is okay, I've got a nice job, I've got a nice house, alhamdulillah. I'm giving my kids tarbiya in the house. I'm going to be okay. In the long run, that is not the solution Islam came with for you. Mm. And you know, there's lessons in the all of these things that happened are lessons for us to take heed from. Subhanallah. Sheikha, that is an eye-opener. That is an eye-opener. Subhanallah. Yani, uh, and we see that, Sheikh, yani, it's getting to a point where Muslims are worried about the coming generations, whether they will be Muslim or not in the West. I mean, uh, so 
the, the solution at the end of the day is only one, is that we establish the rule of Islam. There is no other solution anymore. Nothing else can... There is no accommodating. That, that is... For us, as Muslims in the West, you know, I mean, ulama in the past actually didn't approve of Muslims living in Darul Kufr. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, Fuqaha have written about yeah. this and they've given their nuances and details about that. But, you know, one exception they, they would agree upon is if you live there and you make da'wah. So we have to be involved in carrying the da'wah. Because if you are not carrying the da'wah in the West, you are going to be the recipient of da'wah, of their da'wah. And that's why you get Muslims hitting the, the so-called intellectual crossfire where they get confused and you've got Muslims people calling for secular liberal values as if it's something Islamic to do that. Or Muslims losing their iman and becoming non-Muslims or just giving up believing in Islam and doing whatever. Um, and, and this is the effect. So... We have only one choice. If we are living in the West, we have only got one choice, and that is to stand up for our deen and to be part and parcel of conveying that da'wah. Involved in whatever capacity we can be involved in, but don't be a bystander. You cannot afford to be a bystander in a liberal, secular society. You have to be an activist to whatever ability that you have, but you have to be on the side of activism and not on the side of receiving, being a victim of their activism. Because they are active against you, they are plotting day and night. The legislation they passed is there, which will harm your iman and harm your Islam. So you don't really have a choice as a Muslim in the West. You can't just be an ordinary guy. You need to be an activist. You need to be on the side of carrying the call for Islam in whatever capacity you can do that. Subhanallah, Sheikh. Uh, last question, because we have five minutes. Just five minutes. I'm gonna take last question here. Yes, because I need can... to complete. Because yes. my maghrib okay. has started already. Oh, okay. So let's just one minute. The importance of movements uh, versus because you know we have a lot of people joining academics and that's how they keep themselves active, right? At institutions and things like that. But do you think what is do both play a role or is it important that Muslims are part of movements that keep them active? You, you know, you need to be, uh, my, my opinion is you have to be part of a movement. Allah says in the Quran, وَلْتَكُمْ مِنْكُمْ أُمَّةٌ يَدْعُونَ إِلَى الْخَيْرِ You know, let there arise from amongst you an ummah, a group that calls to khair. So Allah has even instructed us that we need to be a party of believers that are calling to khair. Um, because, um, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. And in being part of a movement. Yeah, because... Uh, 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 you need to be part of the movement because like I already mentioned especially living in the West you, you, are, you are the target of their da'wah so as a Muslim Islam didn't come you know so you can't just be an academic because Islam is a practical deen that came to convey to the society to establish it it's not just ideas Islam is not just ideas. Islam is about ideas that have a practical manifestation. Look, here's the, thing. the, the only reason I'm asking you this is because we had, I was talking to a scholar just a few days ago and he's saying, I was giving my exam. I was giving one of my exams for my, to become a scholar. And he said, Allah, Sheikh, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. But while I was giving the exam, every time I was thinking, what am I really going to do with this? And that shocked me that this, People who are fourth year, fifth year, studying Islam in these, uh, you know, institutions, but they really don't know or think that they can do anything really with this. So I mean, this it, is it because there's no Islamic civilization. Look, if you go to a Dar Ulum and you become a scholar, 
when you come out of that dar ulum, what profession are you going to do? Either you're going to become a teacher, an imam, yeah. or that's it. <laughs> what yeah. else are you going to do? Now we have a lot of ulama who just do charity work or become tour yeah. operators. They take people on yeah. Islamic tours to Uzbekistan and Palestine yeah, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, but in the past, if somebody studied Islam, they would become a qadi, they would become a judge, yeah. they would become a policeman, they would yeah. become an architect because you yeah. need to know the, shari the sharia rules about architecture, yeah. about how to build buildings, you know, yeah. about separation of the sexes or about looking into your neighbors. There's rules pertaining to all aspects or of how to rule the world, continue ruling the world. Everything. <laughs> exactly. So when you were an Islamic scholar in the past, you know, when the student, if Imam Abu Hanifa, you know, uh, Abu Yusuf, he wrote a book, uh, Kitab al-Kharaj, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, a book yeah. about taxation. Why? Because the government needs to know about taxation, Islamic taxation. Yeah. Our ulama are not going to do that. Why? We don't have Islamic uh, yeah. system. And, and unfortunately, Islamic Islamic the, the mindsets are not even there. Subhanallah. I don't want to take much of your time, Shaykh, because I know you have to go to Maghrib. But Allah, Jazakallah khair. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept your effort. And you know you're going to be coming back for much more, uh, many more discussions going on. Uh, inshallah, what's happening inshallah. with Pakistan and other situations, I'm sure you're following it. Uh, by the way, supposedly he's been released. So let's see what happens, where the game goes from here. But Shaykh, Jazakallah khair. Mm -hmm. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it from you. And I, I hope and pray that these discussions... Uh, really, Sheikh, this is in many ways Sadaqa Jaria from, from what you're doing. Many people really listen to these Inshallah things. There's a lot of impact on people uh, from this. So you're sitting there in UK, but you're having effects on thousands of people here in the West or much more to the West of you, of US, Inshallah. Zakallah khair again. And we'll see you next time, bi Ta'ala. And uh, for Inshallah. the rest of you, brothers and sisters, for the rest of you, brothers and sisters who are listening, it's very important, brothers and sisters, that we are engaged, we learn our deen, not for the sake of just learning, because that would be, as the brother was mentioning, we, we're not trying to produce academics. And those, and it's very important that we engage with the society, that we bring Islam, not only that, we're responsible for this. We are responsible to call people to khair, and call people to deen of Allah and call people to, 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 to righteousness, and to, to see the truth the way it is. If not human beings, are acting and behaving literally like animals. People are performing surgeries on themselves and, and, and paying money to look like animals. Can we actually go lower than this? So it's important, brothers and sisters, that we understand our role and we play our role. Zakumullah khairan. See you next time. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wa Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events. Islamic Guidance, Quran Tafsir, and Sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.